Our reading this morning will come from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Good morning, church. Thank you, Ben. Keep your Bibles open there to John chapter 12. I have just a couple of uh, additional prayer requests I want to uh, bring your attention to. Um, Received word this morning um, from uh, Jenny Campbell, uh, the niece, uh, requesting prayer for her and Tommy's niece, uh, Annabelle Coy. So if you could remember her in prayer, I know that she would appreciate that. Also, um, I'm not sure if you know about it or not, but this past Friday, Noel Lynham had surgery on his back uh, over in Memphis, and uh, he is uh, recovering, and so we want to remember him. Uh, talked to Miss Susan last night, and Frank uh, is doing better uh, in Jackson Hospital. Um, but recovering, and so we want to remember him after he had, I believe, just one toe. We sent out uh, possibly two toes, but uh, was supposed to have just had one toe removed, and so we want to remember Frank as he continues to recover. Also, on a good note, I'm sure you've seen pictures, I'm sure you've heard word, but I want to congratulate Dustin and Nicole and Lindley on the birth of their new baby, Lainey. Uh, eight pounds, one ounces, and 20 and a half inches long. So we, uh, we celebrate with them and want to... Uh, add them to all of those that we want to remember uh, in prayer this morning. Have you ever been to a parade? I'm sure you have. Most of us have. There might have been many of us that were uh, out here on the road or in town uh, this past Friday for the homecoming parade. You see, parades have become a major part of our society haven't they? We have, like what we had Friday, homecoming parades. Uh, We have holiday parades and things like that. There are parades for uh, the uh, Super Bowl champions, the World Series champions, the college football champions, all in their home cities. In fact, during the holidays, during Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, many people watch parades, and they become this major part of our society. And they're fun, they're, they're enjoyable to watch and be a part of, to be in and to be spectators of. But today we want to look at uh, a section of Scripture. Really, this this story, this uh, event is found in all four of the Gospels. But this morning we'll primarily look here in John chapter 12, but also note uh, Luke chapter 19. So if you want to go ahead and, and open your Bible or hold your finger over there in Luke 19, we'll uh, or put your marker there, we'll also go there. But this event is greater and has much more significance than any other parade that we've ever been a part of, that we've ever witnessed.
witnessed that we've ever uh, enjoyed. This has more significance because this happens as it begins the last week of Jesus' life. Now typically we uh, talk about lessons like this uh, in the Easter as it surrounds uh, the death, burial, or the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to notice on the screen the traditional calendar of the last week of the Lord's ministry. The last week that He was here on earth, Sunday was this triumphant entry into Jerusalem that we'll talk about today. Then on Monday, uh, we have the story of the cleansing of the temple. On Tuesday, there was the controversies with the Jewish leaders. On Wednesday, uh, apparently it was a day of rest. On Thursday, it was preparation for the coming Passover. Friday was the trial and crucifixion. On Saturday, Jesus is resting in the tomb. You remember, uh, that's the way he uh, uh, refers to Lazarus, and then on Sunday, Jesus is raised from the dead. And since it's Passover week, and it's, it's that time of Passover, there's likely about two million people in and around the city of Jerusalem. This also was a time in the earthly ministry of Jesus, one of the few times that he actually allowed this kind of demonstration. You remember how when Jesus would heal someone or when he was with someone, he would say many times, uh, do not tell. Do not tell that you have been with me. Do not tell what has happened to you, this healing or what not. And there's primarily about two possibilities and two reasons of why Jesus allowed this. Number one, because He was fulfilling the prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9. Now part of that um, being read to us from John chapter 12 in verse 15. But notice Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt and the fowl of a donkey. Now, this donkey might appear as a lowly animal uh, to us, not good for much of anything. And it likely appeared to that uh, to the people in that day. Because most kings, most kings that would enter a parade, a procession, if you will, of victory would come into that city riding not on a donkey, but on a stallion. But to this group, it appears that that didn't matter to them. Because contrary to popular belief at the time, Jesus was not there to declare a victory in establishing an earthly kingdom, which that's what they thought. He was there to establish a spiritual kingdom. A second reason or second possibility is that it forced the Jewish leaders to act. You see, at this time, they they wanted to get rid of Jesus, but they were not to the point of ready to kill Him until this happened. When they saw this spontaneous demonstration of the people, they decided Jesus had to be Destroyed, And so let's, let us look at John chapter 12 and Luke chapter 19 and, and, and observe some factors uh, that this arrival of Jesus brought and also to try to see things as He did. Notice in the first place, John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. The next day, a great multitude, remember there's a lot of people there, 
had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. You remember uh, last week we were talking about they were wondering, hey, is He going to be here? Is He going to be here? And now they've heard He's coming. And so this great multitude goes out to meet Him. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now Luke chapter 19 and verse 37 tells us that the crowd began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. So this was not a whisper. This was not something over in the corner. This was something that everyone was doing and they were crying out. They lifted up their shouts of Hosanna, which the Bible, which we learned that that means save now. They were quoting from Psalm chapter 118. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. John lets us know that they were waving these palm branches. Uh, that, that was a symbol of, uh, to celebrate military victories. And this is where we get the idea on our calendars. You'll see in, in the spring of the year, before Easter, Palm Sunday. This was that Sunday as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. But I want you to notice what one commentator said about this. The multitude waved palm branches in token of rejoicing and of triumph. Now at last victory, uh, prosperity... Uh, salvation conceived along earthly lines that's what they were thinking seemed to be assured for if Jesus was able to raise from the dead a man who had been in the tomb four days where were the limits to his power under such a leader one could even shake off the yoke of the Romans the waving of the palm branch was the manifestation of the joy of victory, of the feeling. Everything is going to be better now. So you, when we look at it that way, they believe finally, finally the Messiah has come. Finally, we're, we're going to have freedom from Rome. And so they're praising and they're shouting, Hosanna, save now. You see where their mind is? You see why they're shouting? This is a parade of victory in their minds. Of earthly victory. You remember a few weeks ago when we talked about our perspective? These people are still struggling with a ground level perspective. So why else would they applaud Him? Luke 19 and verse 37 tells us that they praised God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They had seen the crippled walk. They had witnessed the blind receiving sight. They had seen and many had heard of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Surely this is the one to conquer Rome and bring us freedom. Hosanna! Save now! You see, Jesus brought hope, but for them it was an earthly hope. Philip Yancey gives some insight to this when he says, He imagines a Roman soldier galloping up to check on the disturbance. The Roman soldiers, they're seeing what's going on. Their job is to keep the peace. And so he gallops up on his stallion to see what this disturbance is. He has attended processions in Rome where they do it right. The conquering general sits in a chariot of gold. 
White stallions pulling the reins. Behind him are officers in polishing armor, carrying the colorful banners of the defeated enemies. At the rear comes a ragtag procession of slaves and prisoners in chains. Living proof of what happens when you get in the way of Rome. But in Jesus' triumphant entry, the adoring crowd makes up the ragtag procession. The lame, the blind, the poor, and children from Galilee and Bethany. When the soldier looks for the object of their attention, he sees a man riding on a donkey using this borrowed, uh, their borrowed coats as a saddle? Not a very impressive sight to a Roman. But it was the, the best display that these people could give. The reception of a meek and peaceful king. But remember, they had known about this. It had been prophesied, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And these people were shouting and praising because they believed Jesus was coming to save them from Rome and establish an earthly kingdom. They had the wrong perspective. But that's not all. His arrival was also met with betrayal. We know some of those stories. You see, this day marked the end of the public affirmation of Jesus' ministry. Eventually, the applause would end. The hosannas would end. And many of these people would have likely been in that crowd before Pilate shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Isn't it interesting how quickly the mood of the crowd changes? People can be very fickle, can't they? Frank Harrington, Harrington, a minister in Atlanta, tells a story of Marvin Griffin. Marvin ran for governor of Georgia in the early 60s against Carl Sanders. His strategy was to have great gatherings gathered around barbecue dinners all over the state of Georgia. Sometimes over 10,000 people would show up at these dinners just to eat Marvin's barbecue. But when the election was over, he had lost decisively. At a news conference that followed, he simply said, they ate old Marvin's barbecue, but they didn't vote for me. Isn't it interesting how quickly the crowd changes? And if this day in the life of Jesus tells us anything about public popularity, it tells us that the favor of the people is fleeting. Do you remember Napoleon? Napoleon, while traveling through Switzerland with, the, with his army, was greeted with thunderous applause and enthusiasm. He remarked to a nearby supporter. Now listen to him. This same unthinking crowd under a, under a slight change of circumstances would follow me just as eagerly to watch me die. So we have this crowd on one hand, they're shouting, Hosanna, save now. And later they likely would be saying, crucify Him, we do not know this guy. Even at sporting events, the same crowd who boos at a player madly after a series of mistakes will cheer him wildly after a great play. Crowds have a short memory, don't they? 
that you see crowds are generally asking, what have you done for me lately? Judas, even Judas, one of Jesus' followers, ended up selling out for 30 pieces of silver. But I want you to notice... In Luke chapter 19, the power behind what actually happened as Luke writes this, verse 39. And notice the betrayal of some of these Pharisees. And some of the Pharisees called to Him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 40, He answered and said to them, Now notice the power. Of what Jesus says, I tell you that even if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. You see, even though these Jewish people and these Jewish leaders and even these fickle people crying Hosanna, even though they might betray Jesus, Jesus still realizes the importance of the situation. And He says, even if these people were to be quiet, the stones would cry out. Notice in John chapter 12, John would also let his readers know that the scribes and the Pharisees, they've been looking for an opportunity to take care of Jesus. And look at what the Bible says in John chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. As he deals, they deal with their frustration uh, over what's happening and over this fickle crowd. Verse 18, For this reason the people also met Him, because they heard that He had done the signs. This sign of raising Lazarus. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that what you're accomplishing is nothing. Look, even the world has gone after Him. And when Jesus was arrested on Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark's Gospel, Mark, uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 26 and verse 56, tells us these chilling words. Listen to it. Then all the disciples deserted Him and fled. And look at John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. John lets us know that many believed, but they failed to confess Him. Nevertheless, verse 42... Even among the rulers, many believed in Him because, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him. They feared them, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. His arrival was met with applause. His arrival was met with betrayal. And also his arrival, we learn, was accompanied by tears. I want you to turn back to Luke chapter 19. I want you to notice what Luke says about Jesus as he's going down that valley, looking over Jerusalem, and Jesus weeps for Jerusalem. And notice what he says. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known, even you, especially in your day, in this, your day, the things that make up, make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. While Jesus deserved this triumphant entry, the triumphant entry of a king, Luke emphasizes that he is moving instead toward the place of his rejection. Have you ever been rejected? Jesus has. While the crowd was rejoicing, Jesus was weeping. Jesus wept over this needy Jerusalem as a place of lost opportunity for the people did not get His message. It's a story of a minister who tells a story of a foster child who had, a, had retreated into the world of fantasy to cope with her life. She would write songs and mail them to people, but instead of mailing them, putting them in the mail, she would hang them on this tree. Her negligent foster parents found one of the notes and it read, Whoever finds this note, I love you. Jesus reached out to Jerusalem in a similar way, but His efforts were to no avail. And I want you to notice in John chapter 12, the words of Jesus as He's trying to get the people to see what's happening, to see the magnitude, to see why He was going to die, why that needed to happen. Verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda, from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip, they told Jesus. And this was Jesus' response. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life for this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Here again, Jesus is trying to get them to change their perspective. He's wept over Jerusalem. He cares about His people. And yet they reject Him. They did? Now I thought they were crying out, Hosanna! They were praising Him. They were giving Him this big parade of victory. They were. But for a ground level reason. And not for the reason Jesus had come. And He gives them this example of this seed that falls into the ground. It's not going to produce fruit if it doesn't die. It has to die first before it will produce that fruit. And He gives us this challenge. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. No matter where Jesus looked, He found a cause for weeping. Looking back, He saw how the nation had wasted its opportunities. Looking within, He saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of His people. Looking around, He saw religious activity that accomplished very little. Looking ahead, 
he saw terrible judgment that was coming on Jerusalem. So how about us? Will we also weep and pray for the loss of our community, for our state, for our nation, for the world? You see, that's what Jesus did. You see, here's the final thing I want us to think about this morning. Notice John chapter 12, verses 44 and following. You see, His arrival demands our response as well. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in Me believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And he who sees Me sees Him who sent Me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in Me... Notice the contrast. There's one way or the other. He who believes in Me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears My words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects Me and does not receive My words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me gave me a command. What I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. You see, this event in the life of Jesus and His followers, it demands our response. Will we believe and act or not? It should cause us to ask ourselves, what am I offering Jesus? You see, someone called people like these followers here on this Sunday as Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem, called that a carnival-type follower. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we just simply carnival Christians? You see, carnival Christians are someone who just enjoys the fun. You know those folks that say, you know what, I don't want to go to church anymore because it's not fun. Carnival Christians are someone who gets caught up in the excitement of cheering for Jesus, but sometimes has a hard time taking a personal stand for Him. Their commitments, or the commitments from them are difficult to keep. And because of that, the Christian lifestyle isn't always evident in them. You see, that's what Jesus called these followers to do. Don't just shout Hosanna in the moment because of the excitement and then go out and live with a ground level mentality. What did Jesus say? Set your mind on things above. You see, when we set our minds on things above, we can get excited about serving the Lord. But it's not just about that excitement. 
Then when the tempter comes in my life, we can say, Lord, this is difficult. And I'm trying my best to have a mentality of looking for eternity. And Weems has penned some words that reveal really a little bit of carnival Christians in each of us. She says this, We're good at planning. Give us a project and we're off and running. No trouble at all. Going to the village and finding the colt, even negotiating with the owners is right down our alley. And how we love the parade. In its frenzy of celebration, we gladly focus on Jesus and generally throw down our coats and our palms in His path. And we can shout praises loudly enough to make a Pharisee complain. It's all so good, the parade. She writes, it's between parades that we don't do so well. We don't do so well from Sunday to Sunday. For we forget our hosannas between parades. The stones will have to shout because we won't. I don't raise this point to make us feel guilty. I raise this point to challenge myself and challenge us. You see, we love to see each and every one of you here. It makes us feel good. You know, it makes us feel good when we can write a big number as far as attendance. That makes us feel good. In a way, you showed up for the parade. But you see, the challenge is when we leave. When we go back to our homes, when we go back into our workplaces, when we go back into our schools, when we go back into our neighborhoods, what was it all for? Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't want anybody to know. Remember the Lord said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my heavenly Father. You remember going to an uplifting seminar, a week of camp, or a youth rally, or, or some sort of special event? Boy, it's easy to cheer for Jesus in those times, isn't it? Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm with other people. I'm with a Christian. But when we get back home, what happens? Many times we lose our enthusiasm. We lose our excitement. And in a sense, that's not so bad as long as we don't forget the battle each and every day. We can come together for worship, but then what? Will we fall away this week? Will we be like the disciples who made promises by day, but then left by night? Will we be like the one in the crowd who praises Him one day and then loses interest in Him the next? Or will we be like those? You see, this is the challenge. As I look at this text, as I look at what happens here, I have to ask myself these serious questions and I have to say, will I be like those who shouted Hosanna and then later would say, crucify Him? Or will I be like the ones that verbally said it and physically showed it? Lord, I'm with you no matter what. You see, it's important that we spend time daily with the Lord. 
Some people call it quiet time. Some people call it devotional time. Even our Lord spent time in prayer. Listen, we talk to our boys about this, but I want you to know, it's not just a teenager problem. What we fill our minds with and our hearts with every day is important. It's a people problem. It's a people issue. And it's important that we fill our hearts and our minds with Jesus every day because I can guarantee you one thing. As the Bible teaches, not as I'm just saying, but as the Bible teaches... The devil is not taking a day off. He may be beside you at this moment, or he may meet you at the doors. He is not taking a day off, and neither can we. I like the way Paul put it in Romans chapter 12. I want you to notice it on the screen. I beseech you, or the English standard says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's while I'm alive. All the time. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And if I'm not transforming my mind, renewing my mind, and it's a challenge, I will conform. What a parade. What a scene of applause, of betrayal, of tears. What a scene of response. Jesus said to those listeners, you have to respond. Whether you believe or not. And Jesus lets them know your actions will reveal where you stand. How will you respond to Jesus today as together we stand and sing?